Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 344, recorded June 27th, 2021. So, end of an era, our last of the gold key that were released in the 70s and 60s. So, these came out in 79, I believe. Yeah, yep. Uh, What, February, and then, I'm not sure what the second one is. So, at this point of time, these are the last two gold key issues exactly until they supposedly print that lost issue 62 right but we'll worry about that when it actually becomes available i don't think that's available yet is it i haven't seen it yeah we'll so, keep an eye out for it i'm sure we'll cover it when it exactly comes. and then when it comes out we'll go oh more gold key let's do it <laughs> the, the, the nostalgia will come back Right, and I will say that uh, out of the two issues that we have today, mm-hmm. one I really, really hated, <laughs> and the other one I really, really liked. Oh, really, really? Which is, yeah, which is really weird for a gold key. That is weird. <laughs> and then we're also going to do some, they did some reprints back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, Whitman Comics or whatever did it, mm-hmm. and um, inside like they would do a graphic novel with eight issues, but then they would also pepper in these one or two page Mm-hmm. stories and so uh, we have four of those that we're going to do they're all really short some of them are good some of them are bad so. yeah and those are referred to as the enterprise logs yeah the reprints were called the enterprise logs so there was enterprise logs one through four and log two didn't have anything special in it but log one three and four each each had at least one story in it right cool should be good to talk about looking forward to it there's a lot more on some of those Enterprise Log things than I expected to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was both impressed and disappointed, in it, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a second. Okay, cool. Shall we start off with uh, issue 60? Yes. Titled The Empire Man. And that's published date February 1979. Creative team John Warner wrote it. Alden McWilliams did the art. I'm not sure who the cover artist is, but let's talk about the cover. The cover in this issue is not one of those really nice paintings that somebody took a lot of time with. This one is a little lower budget, I think. I think a little less effort was put into it. Anyway, it shows Kirk and Sulu looking on while Spock appears to be doing a mind meld with a guy in a purple leotard while a huge, ghostly, red-haired lady is, like, right up against Spock's back. So uh, this lovely lady ghost is emitting a yellow glow that surrounds her entire ghostly form, and it also extends over Spock and the purple man. Black text says, A ghostly presence haunts the Enterprise. One of the less impressive covers I've seen from Golki and Kirk Sulu and Spock's faces in particular are kind of meh. The teaser opening page shows a guy in a blue one-piece suit. Yes, it was purple on the cover. 
and matching helmet on the Enterprise Bridge holding a phaser on Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, saying, He must destroy the planet. The ship is orbiting. Kirk says, They are powerless to stop him. The Enterprise is called to Torellian II, where an ancient race of star nomads have settled down and made a home. They are under attack by a single formidable entity. The Enterprise is called in to provide protection to the beleaguered population that have lived on the planet for three generations. When they arrive, Spock has the con while Kirk, McCoy, and a security team of two gold shirts, yes, they do not have red shirts on, beam down. Minister Skorvik greets them and shows them the devastation the entity has inflicted on them. The minister says they have no idea who their attacker is, but it did send one message ordering them to vacate this world at once. Suddenly, a ghostly apparition of a lovely Marilyn Monroe with an aura of gold light appears floating above them. Kirk says she seems to be wordlessly pleading with them. The minister tells them to take cover, which they do just in time to avoid being blasted by a very real fighter spaceship with guns a-blastin'. Kirk calls up to the Enterprise and appraises Spock of the situation. Uhura is able to open a channel with the pilot of the ship, who identifies himself as Zartan. He says the planet is his, and the others must go or be destroyed. Zartan threatens to destroy the Enterprise, if it gets in his way. Spock has tractor beams lock onto Zartan's ship. He resists them to the point that his ship is damaged and close to breaking up. Spock orders to release the ship. Zartan is forced to crash land in his disabled ship. Kirk and his landing party rush to the wreckage as Zartan is looking on, apparently unaffected by the crash. Zartan attacks and is hard to take down between his surprising strength and Leotard's body armor. After using phasers set to full power on him, they beam the unconscious Zartan up to the Enterprise. As the last of the landing party beam up, the Lady Ghost appears, and she is pissed. Her anger manifests itself as an earthquake that damages the Torellian city and injures the Chancellor. The earthquake ends and the ghost floats down to the Chancellor, who she heals with a touch of her hand. The minister witnesses this and thinks the ghost caused the earthquake, but she also healed the Chancellor. She is a mystery, but ultimately she is also a threat that he vows to stop. He and his people will not abandon this world. End of part one. Part two. McCoy tells Kirk he can't remove Zartan's armor, so sedating him is more difficult. Also, Scotty assessed the armor and says it's powerful enough to run the entire Enterprise if it was hooked up. Wow. Kirk says that makes him dangerous, so he orders him to be moved from sickbay to a maximum security detention cell. After being informed of the earthquakes by the minister, Spock says there is a ring of energy surrounding the planet. Kirk sends down a landing party to go over Zartan's ship and see if it's generating the ring. During the transport, 
the ghost is able to hitch a ride to the Enterprise and starts moving through the ship to find something, or perhaps someone. In the meantime, the security detail, still with golden shirts, move to remove Zartan from his sickbay bed. But look out! Zartan was just faking unconsciousness. And apparently, the sickbay bed monitors did not detect it. Great. In moves worthy of Khan, Zartan knocks out the guards, grabs a phaser, grabs McCoy, and leaves a sickbay. Zartan later arrives on the bridge, holding McCoy and the phaser, telling everyone to back away from the weapons control panel. Before Zartan is able to fire the ship's phasers at the planet's surface, the ghost enters the bridge and merges with Spock. She takes over Spock's body and moves to Zartan, who drops his phaser and shouts, To keep away from me! The ghost uses Spock to initiate a mind meld. She tells Zartan to remember the radiation cloud when it first came to our world and almost wiped out our great and powerful civilization. Okay, and now for the confusing part. The ghost through Spock reminds Zartan that in response to the deadly radiation cloud that affected animals and not plants, they, the original inhabitants of Torellian II, found a way to transfer their population's consciousness into plants. With their consciousness protected, they turned to preserving their population's bodies by putting one cell from each person's body into an artificial carrier body. After the plants were planted and implanted with the population's consciousness, Zartan left the planet in a spaceship for a long journey. After almost an eon passes and the radiation dissipates enough for animal life to return to the planet, that is when Zartan returned with his precious cargo, but found usurpers. Usurpers? Hmm. Usurpers were already on the newly habitable world. Zartan is exposed as a cyborg and disabled by Ghost slash Spock, who flips open a panel in his chest and flips the off switch. Boy, did that remind me of Lost in Space on the robot, the B-9 robot. Kirk facilitates talks between Ghost slash Spock and the Trillian II leadership that results in them agreeing to share the planet when the Thelemites can be restored to life. Later, McCoy tells Spock the restored Thelemites agreed to share their technology with the Federation. In response, Spock mulls over the potential for a method to turn humans into plants. He concludes, it can't help but be an improvement. Wah, wah, wah. The end. Good stuff there at the end. There you go. You got the little zinger, little Spock zinger. All right, so, um, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what? The explanation was really complicated. Yeah, I, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't get it. It's... I still don't get it. And, uh, man. Well, okay. So it took me multiple reads, and of course, me trying to synopsize all this. Right. That it finally sunk in all the twists and turns of what they did. So apparently, they didn't have the original inhabitants of this planet. 
They apparently didn't have FTL tech to move as much of the population as practical to another planet, apparently. Right. But they did have the tech to create that spaceship that lasts for a millennia. Right. And, we, and Zartan. We've seen before. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, or not, not a millennia, an eon. So an eon is different from a millennia. So I got, I got to keep my, my terminology straight. Um, it's even longer. It's even longer. And then they also developed the technology to transfer humanoid consciousness into plants. And they must have did that pretty quickly, right? Right. So this cloud, they detected it was coming at them. So how much time did they have to do all this? I'm not quite sure. But, well, whatever. I mean, why would you need to have the technology to transfer human consciousness into plants of all things? Into robots, that's one thing. Into plants? Okay, so they had to do that from scratch, wouldn't you think? Anyway, whatever. Right, right. And then finally, you know, so they must have used cloning tech to recreate the people's bodies from a single cell that is stored in Zartan's body because he's a cyborg. Right, okay. but where, where were the people being grown? That was after he that, got home. Yeah, after he got home, then yeah. he took those cells, one cell for each person, and then uses that, these cloning right. bays that are, you know, tons of these cloning things are there. And, and it's, a, it's an eon old, this equipment. Right. And then, uh, and then, then after they're, they're cloned up, <laughs> then he, you know, they just take the plants and... Yeah, so those plants, so, you know, were they aware when they were in the plants? And if the plant died, did the person die? Well, it there's no way a plant's going to last for an eon, right? Right. So, obviously, it had to be, at least I hope it's obvious, it had to be, the consciousness had to be passed on to another plant, you know? Right. Right? So, if they had, like, one big drought, would, would, <laughs> would it have killed off a whole... Probably. City's worth of people? Yeah. Probably. And were the people aware? I mean, she's a ghost, and she kind of acts like she's aware of all this. Is she? Is there other ones that are aware, and are they just chilling out for an eon, or they well, need to talk to each other? I, right. Okay. So the ghost, the ghost came from the from the plants, right? Right. Isn't right? Yeah. yeah I, 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 I took it that she was like a manifestation of their consciousness. Right. Right, their combined consciousness, or that was an individual person, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If she was just the representative, I don't know. Yeah, or whether some, somehow she was a, a melange of, of the, all their consciousness, I don't know. So the planet was called Thelema. That was the original name. And then I guess Torellian Two is the new name that the Federation well, gave the it. That and we, the, just, we just impose on it. Right, the exactly. planet in the Torellian right. system. There you go. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. I don't know. The whole putting your DNA into something and sending it off, I mean, uh, it's one of the things I like least about the uh, the Man of Steel Superman reboot because they basically do the same thing where they they put the Kryptonian codex of all the Kryptonian DNA into oh, right. LL before they send him off, which I oh, wasn't wait a hold on. Which... What's that? Okay, I'm just I'm, – I'm not as up on Superman as you. So it's the the Man of Steel, the Henry. Cavill. Okay, the Man of Steel. Right. Okay. So, but yeah. okay, they they put it in the ship that Kal-El was in. No, they put it into him. Oh, really? I did yeah. not get that. 
Yeah, so yeah, uh, Russell Crowe put put it into the baby and then loaded the baby up into the ship and shot Oh, okay. And that's why Zod, when he showed up, wanted wanted the blood because the blood has all the DNA of all the Kryptonian oh. lines. Okay, I didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably an important point that I didn't get. <laughs> oh, well. Which at the time, I was like, that's different, but I don't know if I like it. I mean, it, they said it was all set up so that basically Superman had to, had to choose between <clears throat> repopulating Krypton, Kryptonians versus letting humans live out their lives as humans. You know, basically right. one, choose one population over the other. Exactly. Who's your people? Right. But anyways, it was, like I said, it was something I didn't really care for in that movie, um, and I didn't care for it here either. <laughs> <laughs> Basically loading up all your DNA into Zartan, which that didn't bother me. But uh, Yeah, and, and, was, and, the, and the fact that he was an android or a cyborg or what? Well, okay, that's a good point. If he was an android, that's more plausible. But they specifically said he was a cyborg. Which means that we'd have fleshy parts. Exactly. So those fleshy parts somehow survived an eon? Well, maybe it's that whole, like, uh, he's going not quite faster than light, but fast enough that uh, time goes slower for him than it does on the planet. Okay, well, that's helpful. But still. Okay, so let's talk about... Okay, let's talk about what an eon is. I mean, they specifically said it was an eon, right? Right. And it was like, that's one of those like, oh, it's a really long time, but really, how long is an eon anyway? So I looked it up. Okay. So the first thing I found out is there's there's two accepted spellings of eon. A-E-O-N and just E-O-N. And apparently they're interchangeable. So there you go. So it's kind of a loosely used term. And depending upon your discipline, it can mean different things. So in astronomy, an eon is one billion years with a B. In, yeah. In geology, it's used to describe a major period in geological time like the Precambrian eon. Mm. So it's like that's a chunk of time too. Maybe not a billion years. That's probably like tens or hundreds of millions of years, but still, that's a long time. Right. And then in the vernacular, it's come to mean just a very long, non-specific period of time. So I guess that's what they're probably, that's how they're using the word in this this book. Right, just a long time. Exactly, yeah. So more than a millennia, or else they probably would have said a millennia, but exactly, probably not a billion and not probably, hopefully not a million. But. And they probably didn't expect, you know, the reader of this to go out and get their uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, crack <laughs> it open and find out what an eon is. They're just like, ooh, that sounds sounds like a long time. Yes, yes. Well, I am type A. There you go. Do you remember the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica? Oh, of course I I'm, do. I'm sure you had a when I Well, when I was a kid, you know, we had one in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember when we got ours, and it was, it was a big deal. It's just like, yeah. oh, man, we could look up anything now. Right. And then when Microsoft put it onto CDs, oh, my gosh, what a step forward. And we didn't have a computer. We were still, we, we were still using the old books. Well, we used the books, too, but I'm just saying. It was just funny how that paradigm of having a set of books that gave you, like, all knowledge – 
well, not all knowledge, but as close right. as you're ever going to get your house. Right. Shifted to CDs, and then probably shifted to DVDs, and now it's the World Wide Web. It's just on your phone. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Right. Yeah, so for kids listening, used to, you had to actually work to find something. Exactly. Just ask Gary to find it for you. <laughs> exactly. Do a Google. I did a Google and got this result. Yeah. So uh, back to this book. One of the things that I kept getting stuck on, and I know that it's just me, Zartan is a name of a G.I. Joe. <laughs> That's a, Oh, is it? Yeah, he's, he's uh, the leader of the – I think they were called the Dreadnoughts or something like that. They okay. were like this uh, like mercenary faction that worked with Cobra. But anyway, so every time I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, they're not talking about him because <laughs> this predates that by quite a bit. Sure. And, well, of course – quite a bit. About maybe about five years. Yeah. And of course, the original G.I. Joe wasn't any of that crap. It was when I was when I was a kid, G.I. Joe was a, like a World War Two kind of guy. Yes. He, so there he was, was a male Barbie. Exactly. Like you could change his clothes. And the bad guys were Germans. <laughs> and you could get yourself an Aryan doll that was the bad guy. It wasn't all this this cobra stuff. <laughs> so, well, it sounds like you were missing out because uh, GI Joe, a real American hero, was top-notch playing back when I was. There. Was it? Yeah. Well, it was top-notch play for me too. It just didn't have all this this fancy stuff. Yeah, we had, we had better stories, you know, well, Marvel and, and the cartoons yeah. were telling us how to play with our toys. Yeah. <laughs> back in my days. We didn't have no cartoon TV stuff to go along with our toys. Although, that's not 100% true. There used to be a Hot Wheels TV show. That's the reason why they changed the law, so that you couldn't have TV shows based on toys anymore for a good long time. Because of Hot Wheels? Yeah, because of that Hot Wheels show. Oh, wow. I like that show. Yeah. And I I love my little... Yeah, I, I love my little Jackrabbit special. Who was, who was making the Hot Wheel toys? Uh, there you go. I, I, we love this show. Just keep, people keep buying our toys. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's just part of business. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when they when they changed that in the mid-'80s, it was just like open a floodgate. It was yeah. just like, you can make anything. There you go. So much for protecting your kids from being the ultimate consumers. Exactly. Back to the book. Mm-hmm. He mind melts with the, uh, so the ghost goes into Spock, and then the ghost slash Spock mind melds with the robot. Well, oh, did they ever use the word mind meld? No, it just I don't think so. The, that's the poses that that's exactly using. using the mind meld poses. Exactly. So I assume that's what's going on, but I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't either. And in the end, he's a cyborg. So did it have a human brain? Um, right. Because otherwise, you're not going to do a mind meld, right? I mean. Or no, he mind no. with Veeger, which makes no sense. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I withdraw my my observation. So uh, McCoy was trying to give him a shot with tranquilizer, and he said, "Oh, this armor of his makes it harder to do." And it's like, well, his face is exposed. You could shoot him right into his neck. You wouldn't have to go through the armor. But That's true. what parts? So, 
so the face and jaw and neck, that's flesh? Looks like it. It looks like it, but... But hmm. maybe it's like Terminator with just artificial skin. There you go. Exactly. He's got that scary skull underneath. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I I really doubt 23 technology uh, scanners where they can't figure this out. Like, uh, yeah. Hey, this guy's not a guy. Yeah. Or even if there there are some human bits that would register on the diagnostic bed. Because look at it. I mean, that's the diagnostic bed, right? Right. It would pick up some fleshy bits doing things, but not as much as a normal human. That should kind of tip you off. Right. And this is the number one thing that that kind of takes me off about Star Trek a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You just transported the dude. Mm-hmm. You should know everything about that guy. That's right, down to the atom. Down to the atom. You down to the quark to, level. You should know everything. Exactly. So there should be no surprises once you beam somebody. There should be no, oh, wait, he's a robot. Or, oh, right. wait, he's something else in disguise. Right. He's really an, an Andorian. Hey, this is not an Andorian at all. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. how, how did you get away with that? Right. Good point. Good point. So yeah, that always bothers me when they do the big surprise after. Yeah. Surprise! It's something else. Yeah, and that should be part of standard operating procedure. Anybody comes onto the ship, have some kind of a security protocol to uh, look for anomalies. Right. And of course, uh, the picture shows McCoy dealing with a hypodermic needle. Right. Which, of course, is not Star Trek Taws. Not even Taws does that. So uh, definitely the uh, cover took a, a step back, I thought. Yeah. Now, is that the first one? It kind of shocked me. I, mean, did uh, they I ever... can't remember if the last one did it too, but yeah, it, it's just these last couple. Yeah. Yeah, the last two both are of the same kind of quality, which is not quality at all. For the covers. For yeah. the covers. Yeah, it's just these last two. Yeah, because I'm looking at 59 now, and that, that looks like a painting one. It, right. it could be a better painting, but... And I've seen better paintings, but it's a painting. Right. And, and at least Spock and Kirk look decent. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it must be cheaper to obviously do a, a line drawing and coloring and things like that versus mm-hmm. full-out painting. But, yeah. man, those, those paintings usually look so good. They do. And maybe it was the end of the line. They knew it was the end of the line. Yeah, they so knew they it was just, the end of the line. So they just were cutting costs. Uh, that, ha- that has to be what it was. Yeah. Anything else? I really don't have anything. I, uh... Nope, I oh, oh I did have one other thing. What? About the cloning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, I don't I, remember them ever using the word clone. Okay. Did they? I don't remember that. But yeah, that's obviously no. what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, my thing is, is that I find it odd that uh, the, the clones would come out in different hairstyles. So, <laughs> like, some have long hair. The women have long hair. The men have short hair. It's just like... You had that pre-programmed into your. Well, it's in your process. DNA. It's your hairstyles in your DNA. Yes. Oh yeah. Well yeah. Don't you know? I did not know. <laughs> I, I feel bad. For well, this guy so the color the- of your hair is is in your DNA, but not the length. Color, sure. Yeah. Not the length. True. Good point. And then what's with the guy with that has the fryer tuck haircut? The the one that they're talking to on the view screen. Yeah, that's that's a hairstyle that that didn't go anywhere here in the world. <laughs> you don't see that very often. No. So, anyways, anything else? No. Shall we move on then? Please to the final issue of Gold Key. Yes. Which, With uh, one of your favorite uh, characters, 
I really like this issue. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it might Good. be one of my favorite gold keys. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. So for me, they went out on a bang. <laughs> and I was not expecting to like it. All right. Shall we get it going? Please. Issue 61 came out March of 1979 and is entitled The Operation Con Game. Written by George Cashton. Art by A. McWilliams. So the cover, again, is the comic style, not the painting style. And this shows Spock throwing maybe an exploding grenade over to the side, while Kirk looks like he's punching the console. And then behind the two of them, we see two Taz Klingons watching. And then the caption reads, Kirk and Spock invade a Klingon warship in Operation Khan game. So I don't usually mention the splash page, but something kind of funny happens here, so I'll do it. It's kind of broken out into four panels. So we see a Klingon ship, we see the Enterprise, and then we see a little panel that shows the bridge of the Enterprise. And we have what looks like Kirk asking Scotty why they lost contact. And then Scotty tells this laddie, he doesn't mention him by name, that Kirk and Spock are captured on the Klingon ship. So obviously this guy is not Kirk, yet he looks just like him. And then we have another little uh, panel that shows what's happening on the Klingon ship. And it shows a Klingon telling Spock and Kirk that if they behave, they will have painless deaths. So the story starts with the Enterprise arriving to a planet that's near the neutral zone. They detect high amounts of dilithium, so Spock, Kirk, and McCoy beam down to confirm these readings. When they're down there, they try to make contact with the indigenous population to obtain mineral rights because, yes, indeed, the planet is loaded with the stuff. So en route to the village, they are attacked by some Klingon marauders. Kirk is able to trick one of them into getting close enough so that he can spray him with a mist from the hypospray. And while he does this, Spock and Kirk knock out the others. They then grab up their weapons and they head to the village at top speed. When they get there, they see that the leader of the indigenous population is called the Grand Qual, and he has just signed over all the mining rights to the Klingons. The Klingons basically sing, and this is a deep cut because uh, it's an old show, but the old show was called Pete's Dragon, and they had a big song and dance about, I have a bill of sale right here. So that's basically what these Klingons are doing, singing that song, throwing the deed into everybody's face, and uh, laughing all the way. They then beam back to their ship uh, along with the first haul of dilithium, and they promise to return soon with some mining equipment. So once alone, Spock informs the captain of some strange readings. The dilithium seems to be unstable. McCoy compounds these revelations by saying that he has a reading that the Grand Qual is actually an Earth human. They demask the man, Scooby-Doo style, and they find out that he's none other than Harry S. Mudd. Harry comes clean on what the con was. He has a buddy that made a batch of fake dilithium. Harry came to the planet, spread it all over, and then wooed the natives and proclaimed himself the leader. He then made a deal with the Klingons for a big bunch load of gold, and he plans to be gone long before the Klingons realize that they were ever conned. Mud tosses a fake crystal, and to everybody's surprise, including Mud's, it explodes. 
So they now know that the dilithium on the Klingon ship is basically a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. Kirk tries to call the Klingons to warn them, but they think he's just being a sore loser and ignore him. Kirk and Spock return to the ship and they leave McCoy on the planet to guard over Mud. Once alone, Mud uses sign language to order the natives to grab McCoy. Once subdued, Mud loads McCoy and the gold into his private ship and he heads off to escape. Meanwhile, the Enterprise catches up with the Klingon ship and Kirk and Spock beam over to try to get the explosives off the ship covertly. While they do find the crystals, Mud has contacted the Klingon captain and informed him that the Federation might be on board trying to steal the crystals. So the Klingons then do a search, and yes, indeed, they find Kirk red-handed trying to take the crystals away. And they will still not listen to any type of reason. Spock does what he saw Mud do, and he drops a crystal, causing a small explosion. And this is enough of a distraction so that Scotty can beam them back to the Enterprise. Meanwhile, Mud is about to dump McCoy onto a nearby asteroid when the small ship is scooped up by the Enterprise's tractor beam. Later on the Enterprise, Kirk has beamed over the last of the Klingon's gold back to the Klingon's. And the Klingon captain contacts Kirk and tells him that they're going to forget about his trespass since he did warn them about the pending exploding crystals. Mud is then escorted to the brig by McCoy to await some Starfleet justice. The end. So you didn't like this one? It was okay. I definitely did like the way the Klingons were depicted. Um, you did or did? Did not. Because what's with what's with those outfits? <laughs> those are not Klingon outfits. They're very purpley. Well, purpley and greeny, and um, I don't know what. I'm trying to peg the outfits with a franchise or something I've seen before, and I'm having difficulty. I mean, they're a little bit kind of like a, like a judo, yeah, kind of jacket kind of thing. I mean, the shape of it, not... I mean, there's extra stuff on it that makes it clearly not a judo thing. But, you know, the, the front of it goes all the way down, and I guess they got gun belts rather than a black belt or something. Right. And they've got beards. You know, so they got the one... They, they kind of have... The one guy has kind of like a, a Spock evil beard. Evil Spock beard. Uh, but the it's Klingons like... Had. Huh? The Klingons and Taz had the, the little beard. Um... It really depends upon the Klingon. Um, right. Uh, some of them had mustaches. Some of them had beards. Yep, yep. Um, anyway, and I don't remember any of them having Mo Howard haircuts, but whatever. <laughs> I just think the Klingons weren't necessarily uh, depicted the way I, I am used to it. But Right. Whatever. But, I mean, just looking at them, I knew who they were. So yeah. when we saw well, the very... On the cover, when I saw that cover, before I read the caption, I was like, oh, these must be Klingons. I didn't say that. I didn't think that. Huh. I mean, I thought they, these these probably are Klingons, but they don't look like Klingons to me. I thought they looked. I thought they looked pretty good. Yeah, especially on the cover, they, they've got. I definitely agree that their costumes have that Asian martial arts influence, right? Which is which is a little odd, but right. Again, and, I, I knew where they were going with it. I knew who it was, so right. it didn't bother. And on the cover, they've got kind of like gold. They're golden color. They're 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 jackets, whatever, and they've got yeah. gold. 
necklaces and stuff. Yeah, the necklaces was weird. It was like, oh, this, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, they say Klingon warships, so they must be Klingons, but it's like, oh. And that cover, it's like, what? I do not get what's, what Kirk was doing. And <laughs> is he punching the reader or is he punching that console? I don't know. I, I don't know. And, or is and, he punching the big block that says Kirk and Spock <clears throat> invade the Klingon warship? Is that what he's punching? I don't know. Uh, is he is he doing a, a Dracula impression? I'm not quite sure. Because <laughs> his, his left arm is like ha- hanging out in front of him or something. Right. And, and what's that light? Is that light coming from his... His wrist? His wrist? That's, or is it behind Spock? Yeah, I can't I don't figure know. that out there. I don't know. Eh, whatever. <laughs> you just shouldn't worry too much. Uh, and Harry does look like Roger C. Carmel. Oh, um, he does. So I mean, more uh, than anybody else in this comic looks like the like the anybody like like right. the original actors yeah <laughs> yeah but I did wonder, yeah go ahead I did like the part they had Harry in because it's such a hairy thing have a con job like this right yeah and and for it to go bad like it did that's that's very that's a hairy thing with too his, with his schemes <laughs> exactly but when he said he's going to take care of McCoy. It's like, it almost seemed like he was going to kill him. Yeah, I know. It was pretty dark. Very dark. And then it turns out he's just going to maroon him somewhere, which is just a longer form of murder. But Yeah, he should have just left him. Well, he didn't want a witness. It's like, well, what, what more is McCoy going to know that Kirk and Spock don't? And he's got to figure that he beamed, that Kirk and Spock beamed over and gave everybody on the ship a briefing on what happened. Sure. While they were trying to chase the cleanups. Sure. And warning the Klingons that Kirk and Spock were there, that's basically signing their death warrant. Right. Well, that's what he was hoping for. Yeah. So that way the three eyewitnesses were all taken care of. Yeah. But my number one problem was why leave Mud and McCoy on the planet at all? It's not like it, they were able to leave faster by only beaming up two people versus oh, yeah. four. They should have just said beam four up to the ship. Up and then Exactly. Boom. Now exactly. McCoy doesn't have to be a guard. Exactly. And if you're going to have a guard, don't use McCoy. <laughs> Just beam down a guard if you, if you don't want to remove Harry from the planet, and why don't you? Um, right. Yeah. And the way McCoy's waving that gun around, it reminded me of Barney Fife. Just... <laughs> right. He's like, I went to Starfleet training. I know how to use this thing. And he's exactly. like waggling it around. And I'm like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah. But I did like the line Mud had when they talk about, you know, the dilithium's just a ticking time bomb on mm-hmm. the Klingon ship. And he's like, well, then I'm a hero. i just going to take out a whole starship. Exactly. That's a very, uh, that was a very Mud thing to do, too. I, I agree. Thought, I thought that was really well written. Yeah. So I think from a script standpoint, I think it's pretty solid. I don't Except agree with. Except for why Mud and McCoy don't go on the ship with them. Yeah. That to me is the only fault. Well, okay. McCoy, on, onto the Klingon ship? No, onto the Enterprise. Yes, yes. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, like we said a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I agree with you that I thought this, the script was good except for that one part. Yeah. But I guess they just wanted him to get captured later. Exactly. I mean, you had to have McCoy in in peril. Right. The damsel in distress. <laughs> Yes, sometimes McCoy does end up being that. 
But yeah. I did like the little native guys. I thought they looked cool. Little little purple. Those are weird little weird looking guys. little guys. Yeah. And they really were <laughs> uh, following Harry's lead. I'll tell you. What did he do? Give them candy bars or something? Yeah. He said all he did was learn their language, and then he proclaimed himself leader or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> wow. Didn't take much, did it? Must be pretty easy. <laughs> so how much of this fake dilithium did he have to make in order to scatter it across the planet so that yeah. passing ships, both on the Klingon side and the Federation side, would be like, hey, wait, there's a lot of dilithium You think a there. lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's one, another one of those things that don't make a... A whole lot of sense, and and none at, at none none of the times when they were seeding the planet with the fake dilithium did any of it ever go off. Exactly. Does that seem logical? Not really. I mean, it, Harry is walking away and just tossing it over their shoulder when it goes off, t- tossing it over his shoulder. So it's like right. he appears to have no clue about the explosive tendencies. Right. Yep. And that must have cost a lot to make that much fake dilithium. And it doesn't look yeah. like it's a lot of gold that he's, he got as payment. So. Mm. And about gold. We already knew yeah. that gold wasn't worth anything from Taz. In Taz they say that? Yeah. In, well, okay. in Cat's Paw. In the episode Cat's Paw, the wizards try to tempt them with gems and... And all these these things, and Kirk just says, we, we, we could manufacture a, a ton of that if you want from the ship. Uh, so, right. I mean, I don't think there was any gold on the plate that they were trying to tempt them with. But if you can make gemstones, you can make gold. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they got the tech. I mean, come on. They I guess the you have replicators, but... I mean, gemstones is is crushed minerals. Gold is a mineral itself. Uh, yeah, and all you have to do is is just rearrange and take away certain uh, atoms. There you go. And then you end up with gold. There you go. Just there you change, go. Yeah. So diamonds yep. are basically highly crushed and heated carbon. Right. But gold is its own element, so yes, it is. I guess you're right. If you can, if you well, can beam something down, uh, then if you your level of beam tech- it down and then take it, take and add a few yeah. electrons and stuff, and boom, you have gold. Yes, I don't know what latinum is, but in the next <laughs> gen time frame, gold pressed latinum. It really isn't the gold part; that's the valuable part. It's the latinum, right? Hmm. Whatever. Which is liquid. Looks like liquid mercury when we see more drinking it. Oh, Morn was actually drinking latinum? Well, he hid it in his mouth, and then at the very end, he, like, spits it into a, a cup or something. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. Okay, cool. Yeah. It was, like, the only episode Morn actually did anything. Cool. Aside from sitting there. <laughs> so, Morn was... Was Morn in the original pilot? The original episode? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. Okay. He's in there pretty early. Because I, yeah, I think he's one of those those characters that's like around pretty close to the beginning, right? And who who is he in homage to? Uh, Norm from Cheers. Yep, Norm Peterson. From Norm. Cheers. Of which the actor is looking at Warren, going, "Oh, thanks." George Went. There you go. Yeah. 
he's probably not too <laughs> really I look like that okay <laughs> I bet he was loving it yeah all right anything else for this issue I really don't have anything Nah, just a few little things so the the Klingon captain kept the dilithium in his quarters right. so I guess he really didn't trust his crew much did he Obviously right. not. Just an observation. Did you get my reference about the bill of sale thing? No, I have never heard of that. I don't know what that is. It's kind of a horrible thing. It's uh, it's Pete's dragon, mm-hmm. and he gets sold into slavery. Pete's and... dragon does. The dragon? No, the, the little boy. Oh, the boy. Okay. The little boy, and then like his captors or whatever have this whole song and dance about how they, they have a bill of sale right here. Oh, and okay. if you think about it, it's pretty horrible because this this poor it's kid. Slavery. It, yeah, I don't. They don't ever actually call it that, but yeah. he's like an orphan. But it is. They, they now have free help. That kind of thing. Exactly. He just so happens good. to befriend this invisible dragon. But anyways, that's 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 what I was thinking when it shows like the Klingon captain like waving the uh, the deed in front of Kirk's face. Look what I got. <laughs> Too slow. I remember the name of that movie. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the movie, but did I ever see it? I'm not sure. If I saw it, I promptly put it on my mind. They did remake it a few years back, and it has Carl Urban in it. So, Oh, so they did a live-action version? The man is in everything. It was always live-action. Oh, oh, oh Even the, the first one was live-action? Live yeah, the first one's okay. live-action, but the uh, dragon is animated. And then okay. the new one is live-action, and then the dragon is CG. Okay. Okay. Cool. But yeah, I mean, you're a big Carl Urban fan, so you need to I give it a I think Carl Urban is wonderful. He's great. I just I just guy. watched um, Doom the other night. Oh, the, <laughs> with The Rock. With him and The Rock. You know, that movie's not that bad. I don't it's know why everybody bad. hates on it. It has uh, Ros- Rosanna Parks. R- Rosalinda Pike. Pike. Rosalinda Pike, yeah. Yep. I like her. It's got some good actors. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good. I like it. I, yeah. I've watched it a few times. Hmm. I mean, when it goes completely into the uh, the first person yeah, perspective, when he Doom guy exactly when he becomes Doom guy. That goes on a little long, but yeah, yeah, it's good. I like Man it. at the theater when that was happening, everybody was like yelling, "Woohoo!" <laughs> <laughs> this it's is just like I the game. It's just like the should game. Should have been the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like that. Um, there was a movie maybe four years or five years ago that the whole thing was first person. Yeah. Something Henry or something like that. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, whatever. But that was, I mean, that wasn't doom, but it was completely an action game kind of thing. Completely right. from the perspective of, of the purse of the, of the player of the right. character. And he's doing all these amazing things. Hmm. And no, I don't know anybody that watched it. <laughs> I watched the beginning of it, and I was like, eh, eh. I, I never awful. finished it. But it was done by the guy that did District 9, right? Is that the did guy it? That did it? Uh, I don't know. I think the director, right? I just remember the trailers, and it looked kind of interesting, but I never watched it. Yeah. It was interesting, but how long can you, can they keep your interest with that? Right. Yeah. I never found out, because I, <laughs> I pulled the ripcord kind of early. <laughs> okay. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, then let's go on to these other ones. They're pretty short, so uh, hopefully our comments will be brief. Mm-hmm. 
and everybody can get back to what you want to do. <laughs> All right, so the Enterprise Log 1, it has two stories. The first one is called The Psycho File of James T. Kirk. And so it just kind of goes through his history, so I'm just bullet-pointing it here for you. It says that at age 12, James Kirk was the lone surviving son of Benjamin Kirk, who died in a Klingon repulsion. And then he, he was given admission into the Space Academy, where he was the youngest member. And while there, he was bullied by some older classmen, but he won Not them Finnegan. over. What's that? Not Finnegan. Nah, nah, these guys are meaner. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so he won them over by not fighting with them and then he also doesn't rat them out when uh, they get caught potentially fighting because he, he says that uh, if anybody fights unprovoked then they would get expelled so then we flash forward to where Kirk meets Spock and McCoy and it's not McCoy it's Scotty we flash forward to when <laughs> Kirk meets Spock and Scotty as he's being transferred to the Enterprise and for some reason they take this car. The Nuke-Mobile. Yeah, what is up with that? It's a Nuke-Mobile. <laughs> I've never heard of the Nuke-Mobile. <laughs> Neither have I. But anyways, it breaks down. Well, actually, let me, take, let me take a step back. As they're getting into the car, Scotty makes a comment that the captain must still be nursing since he has milk on his chin. Mm. Which is an odd thing to say to your new boss. Because mm. it does say he's the captain. But anyways, the Nuke car has a coolant issue... And they have to stop and repair. Scotty's then impressed when Kirk says that he was reading recently the recall of this model. And he points the Scotsman directly to where it needs to get fixed. And then we flash forward some more to Kirk and Janet Wallace agreeing to break off their engagement while the two further their own careers. And then we just get a little montage of Kirk getting awarded with all these Starfleet medals. And that's it. So what do you think? I thought it was uh, interesting in where there's some things in common with what we saw in later productions, but we're just either a little off or like, oh, they picked Janet Wallace. Okay. That's so, a pretty deep cut, I thought. I was like, yeah, oh, that's pretty yeah. random, but that's kind of cool. It was random, but it's like, okay, Gold, yeah. He's not known for that. Right. The Deadly Years. So I don't think we ever heard of Carol Marcus until... The oh, movie, right? Yeah, the second movie, the second Star Trek movie. So at this time period, Janet Wallace makes a lot more sense than, than Carol Marcus. So, right. uh, so that was good, yeah. Right, and then him being the youngest captain and the youngest member of Starfleet. I mean, we've right. we've seen that, or at least that was kind of referenced in the older shows. Yep. But him getting picked on—that was, I guess, like Finnegan. But I never took it that. Everybody was mean to him, just that one guy. Well, Rogue. Yeah, so the guy's name is Rogue. R-O-G-G-E, I think. Right. And the people that wrote this had access to existing Taws episodes, of which they know Finnegan, or they should know Finnegan anyway. I mean, why, why change the guy's name? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But the number one thing that really bothered me and it was just like, all right, you got the mm -hmm. Janet Wallace thing, right? Yeah. How did you not get this right? And it says, at age 12, James Kirk is the lone surviving son of Benjamin Kirk. Yeah. Lone yeah. surviving? What about Sam? Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll go down the list. Yeah. I mean, with Benjamin? I mean, 
well, Benjamin I, Cisco. Benjamin, but... I don't know if they've established that his name was George yet, so I'm giving him a pass on that one. But it's okay, the but... sole, sole surviving thing. Yeah, well, okay. and there's a list of things that are inconsistent here. That's I'm just pointing that out. Yeah. See, I don't know about I, – I didn't want to harp on the Benjamin thing because I don't know when they said his name was George. True. But Sam, True. We, we saw Kirk with a mustache. We know he <laughs> as an adult, so why didn't he exist when Kirk was 12? Right. And the whole idea that because he's some kind of, like, little John F. Kennedy Jr. or something, you know, stiff upper lip that – iconic photo with the mother at the funeral or something that that's how he got into Starfleet Academy or Space Academy as they call it here. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, I don't know. So that was all, they just pulled that out of their butt. Right. Yeah. But that's Which fine. I'm okay Whatever. with that. Cause I mean, we don't, at that time we don't yeah, know we anything about how he know. got into Starfleet Academy. We just know that he was young and he was very book smart. Yes. And uh, he became the youngest captain. That's really all we yep. knew. Yep. But we did know that Kirk had a brother. And mm-hmm. we know that at some point Kirk was on that planet that uh, What's-His-Face killed half the population. There. Exactly. So that the Kodos, other... the executioner. Yeah. Yep. So I kind of wish that they would have referenced that, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he got in because they felt sorry for him that half the population he survived and half the population didn't, you know? Yeah. Make a reference to that instead of just some random Klingon repulsion thing. Sure. It was in the Klingon War, right? I mean, that was supposed to be all part of the Klingon War. Um, yeah, was that established back then? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, there, there was the Romulan War, so we know that happened. Right. But I don't think Taws ever talked about a Klingon War. In right. fact, did anything talk about a Klingon War until uh, Axanar... The fan and thing, right? And discovery, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, and I've I've read a lot of Star Trek stuff. Yeah, right. Which speaking of Axanar, the Axanar Peace Mission, where Kirk made a name for himself. There are multiple things they talk about where he did a, a great job. Uh, he he distinguished himself in his early captaincy. One okay. of them is uh, a peace mission to Axanar, which I oh, thought was okay. interesting. And that's in something here, or that's in yeah, that's in this. Where? It says, yeah, he's talking to some lizard guy who kind of looks like a skinny Gorn. But, uh, and it says right there, his success in the Axanar peace mission. Oh, wow. I missed the Axanar thing. Yeah. I, I think that's the same spelling as the fan. Oh, yeah. Wow. Thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, that whole Axanar thing, it, was Axanar ever mentioned in Taz? I don't know. I mean, that I'm name? Hoping, I'm hoping so since, since it's here. I, yeah. I, did those people uh, pull right. it out of here? No way. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know where they got that right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Huh. Anyway. Wow, yeah, that's it's crazy. interesting. So, so that's why I get the feeling that maybe Axanar was referred to at some point yeah. in Taws. I would assume so. Now, right. Now I assume so. Before because yeah, there was that episode where that ex-captain. The one that was hiding on the ship? No, 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 that was court-martial. That was a different one. So there was an ex-captain who was greatly decorated. Some battle he was, he was decorated. And and I think they might have mentioned Axanar when talking about that captain. But he went bad. And I, I don't remember the Taws episode, but 
There was the uh, the Garth of Izar. Garth. That's it. Garth yeah. of Izar. Yeah. He. Yeah. They make reference to Axanar there. That, there. That's it. That's it. Garth of Izar. Right. Yeah. That's the Battle of Axanar. Okay. Ah, there you go. So that's where it came from. That episode. Oh, and you you pulled that out of your butt. I well, I didn't up. remember his. I didn't remember Garth's name, but. And of course, Captain Garth is very prominent in the uh, Axanar fan movie. Well, that would make sense now. Yeah. So what doesn't make sense is why are they taking this nuke car from point, <laughs> point A to point B? <laughs> Can't they just transport? Exactly. <laughs> they do the have transporters, car. don't they? <laughs> <laughs> He's in some like airport with loading ramps and uh-huh. comms that say, you know, now departing, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he ju- jumps into the nuke car and drives away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that made no sense to me aside from they wanted him to show off that he reads manuals too. I exactly. Guess. He's he's a car guy. And plus, I mean, wasn't he in engineering when he was on the Farragut? And, That's what and they've said, stuff? yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I thought you it was know. cool. So he, he's, he's into engineering. So Scott, Put Scotty uh, in his place. There you go. Especially with Scotty, you know, obviously not being crazy about having a captain who's so young. Oh, you whip ya. All right, anything else for this nope, one? that's it. Well, I mean, right. there are other things in there. Sure. So we're going to go on to Scotty's diary? Yeah, 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 that's Scotty's. Okay, okay. That's... Good. All right, so this one is called A Page from Scotty's Diary. So Scotty's having a date with a super hot uh, old flame of his named Belanda Lane. When they're first reintroduced, it's all smooching. But then a car comes by to pick him up. And then now Scotty's attention is completely focused on the car and its beautiful engine. Soon, Belanda fakes a headache and leaves the Scotman to his true love. The end. <sighs> yeah, and she is pretty hot. Well, yeah, they keep saying she's so hot, so that's why I put her in there. Well, I mean, she's, she's drawn very prettily. Especially, right. I, like, I like the last, this is one page. It's only one page. And then where she's, Scotty says something about some engine part being poetry. And then she's like, yeah, poetry. She looks pretty mm-hmm. cute right there. Yeah, now she's supposed to be a singer. So uh, some oh, sort okay. of performer or something. Yeah. But when he's all like grabbing her and stuff, and she's like, oh, you're going to crush my dress. It's the only one I have on this performance or whatever. Yeah. Um, on the stage is like a ballerina or something. So I wasn't quite sure what performing arts she was part of. Right. Yeah, me neither. But uh, it's a I short did, one, yeah. so they don't go into too much detail. But I even like the—I mean, because it doesn't show them kissing on the lips. It shows them like holding each other, and then she says, "Oh, you're going to crush my wardrobe," and then it shows him kissing her hand like yeah. a Victorian gentleman mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. <laughs> but then when they see the car, she says, "It must have slipped my mind during all that hand kissing passion." And I was just like, "Is that like a dig that he was kissing her hand instead of?" Her lips? I don't know. I, uh, I, that seemed like a weird thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but then he just wants to look at that engine. Well, Scotty, you can get back and look at engines anytime. It's, uh, you, know, you don't always have the attention of a beautiful young woman. Right. That lets you smooch on her hand like that. You ain't kidding. Woo, hot. But I did like how he's like, yeah, then she suddenly developed a sudden headache and had to leave. And I'm like, uh, you poor. You don't realize fool. why she did that? <laughs> I 
So, anyways, this was a fun little yeah. one pager. It's fun. It's cool. I, I didn't really get the beginning when it had Sulu giving some dude fifty dollars, mm-hmm. or was he giving it to the other guy, or was he get, trying to give it to Scotty? I'm not sure. Here's that fifty dollars I owe you. You'll need it, and he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll just have my natural charms." <laughs> so I guess he tried to give it to him, but I, I was really confused because there's just this random dude there. Yeah, he's just sitting there between. I mean, is that supposed to be Kirk? He doesn't look like I Kirk. Hope, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. If it is Kirk, it's a very sleepy uh, and doesn't look at all like him. Yeah, it's actually the face-wise, it's a little bit more towards McCoy, maybe, but not really. Yeah. All right, anything else for this page? Nothing. All right, and then there's like a profile, like a one-page. Oh, the the Enterprise thing? Yeah, okay. You know, there is a, a oh. splash page of just the Enterprise flying through space. Yeah. It's a two-page thing. It says, Portrait of a Starship, the Enterprise. And when I read that on the cover, so they have like bullet points of what's, what's in the book, mm. I was thinking, oh, cool, they're going to talk about the Enterprise. And it's like, no. It's just a it's just a drawing, a two page drawing, which is a nice drawing, but it literally means a drawn portrait of the Enterprise. <laughs> okay, I'm somehow less uh, impressed now. Anyway. Yeah, and it doesn't have the flames out of the nacelles and the engineering, so pass. <laughs> but then it does have a, a little article about who is the primary artist for all these gold key, Alberto Gioletti, yeah. which was interesting. I'm not gonna not gonna uh read it but i mean i've read it before but i'm not going to synopsize it. nah don't bother an italian mm-hmm. that came did, did artistry there came to new york or wherever lived in florida and other places and he did a lot of the Golki artwork right and i know we rag on the artwork a lot but it's it's never him that we're ragging on it's just that was the style back then and, and it wasn't always consistent with the tv show yeah. the tv show right all right, shall we move on to log number three? Sure, but I got to talk about the one-page declassified document. Oh, all right, go for it, because okay, so I, I didn't synopsize anything on there. Yeah. Well, these are the things that I'm least impressed with that they include with these things. Mm. So this is a very official-looking document, and this is supposed to be, what is it supposed to be, Kirk's? Um, yeah, this is Kirk's. Yeah, okay, so this is Starfleet Headquarters, United Federation of Planets. To Commander Records Section, Starfleet Archives Building C, Washington, D.C. And it's like, well, I guess it, like you said, it doesn't mean it can't be Washington, D.C. It just seems an odd choice, everything being so much San Francisco-based. But I guess not everything has to be San Francisco-based. I just thought that was kind of like old think. Like, because they're trying to make this look like some kind of uh, U.S. government document. Right. It's got the big classified stamp. It's like, do you think they really use stamps, you know, in the future like that? Probably not. And it's all very... We didn't know any better back then. Exactly. And this thing all looks very paperwork, right? So it's got handwritten date of transmission and the signature of Arthur L. Mason, Admiral of the Fleet. Wow, an admiral is signing this thing? And it's got like little handwritten section TR codes... LIC license, clerk. I mean, it looks very 20th century. Right. Yeah, definitely. And then when you read the, uh, the, the, the text, the bullet-pointed text, it's like, oh, my God. Ugh. 
Failure to comply with security and classification procedures is illegal and punishable according to Security Act KRUFP 3.1. It's like, oh my God, you guys are really going overboard trying to make this seem real. Anyway. That's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. I think they had a... Did they have another one of those on in two? Yeah, they I, had another one of those in two. Later on they do, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't... I didn't read that one, but you want to talk about the log two one? Yeah, the log two one just it just it's an interesting cover. It's got Spock and no, no, the no. Enterprise. Do you, do you want to talk about the the classified page? Well, sure. That that's the only thing to talk about. So I just mentioned the cover, and now right. the only other thing to talk about is the classified page because that's really it for new stuff. I guess the right. rest is issues nine. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. This one is just talking about how the logs themselves, the stories that are being reprinted, are the classified things. Uh, so that's what the, it was. That's what it is. So, so this so these is are the, the back covers of those of these graphic novels. Ah, uh, is it the back cover? It's yeah, maybe it's the back cover. Yeah, I think it's so. somewhere it's somewhere in the book. It probably is the back cover now that you mention it. Yeah. Because the scan they've got in the PDF, the official, you know, complete collection PDF, looks like they took the back cover and just flattened it yeah. out and took a scan. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. I mean, actually, if I had to compare the two, or is it any different? It's still Arthur Mason, Admiral of Starfleet. Yeah. It looks pretty close, if it's not the exact same thing. Right. Hmm. Okay, that's it. Two, All right. two, two doesn't have a lot of new stuff. All right, so Log 3 has one new story. Um, not including any type of I don't think it had that log thing in it, in it. but anyways uh, story three is called the psychophile of Spock mm-hmm. and uh, it shows that Spock was indeed bullied as he was a kid you know all these emotionless Vulcan children are really quite mean mm. and they pick on poor little Spock yes they do uh, Amanda tries to keep a brave face to her son, but uh, when he's not there, she's, she's seen crying. Then she can't help that her son is being teased. Uh, we have a shot where Spock's father, who to me looks exactly like the guy who played uh, Sarek in Star Trek V and nothing like Sarek from the original show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it looks just like that guy. But sure. uh, he tries to teach his son the mind meld. But Spock cannot do it, and then one night Sarek falls off of a cliff, and Spock, being nowhere near, is somehow able to mind meld with his father, and then he rushes out and saves him. And then it shows that at age seven, he's forced into some sort of survival exercise out in the desert, and while he's out there, he's able to kill and eat meat and make clothes out of uh, the dead animals, and that he detests it and has given up meat going forward. Also at age seven, Spock and Pring are betrothed, which I thought was nice. Mm-hmm. And then this is the weird one. During one of his pawn fars, during the original five-year mission, Spock's unchecked emotions made him save Kirk at the risk of the whole ship. <laughs> and then Kirk had to pull some major strings in order to keep him from being court-martialed. And that's the last little bit. So... So, How many Ponfars did he have during that five-year mission? I just remember the one, but... Yeah, how often do Vulcans get Ponfar? It's even in the book. Seven years. Every seven, seven years, years okay. they have Ponfar. Well, we know that's... No. <laughs> no. No, we know that didn't happen. We we saw the show. 
exactly. I was like really confused. I was like, are they implying that the show lasted longer than seven years? Yeah. And another thing they're implying, are they trying to imply that Kirk and Spock are an item? No. <laughs> Where did you I mean, get that from? Oh, uh, I just saw a video on YouTube that was talking about shipping, which is a term I never heard of before. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But apparently, I mean, there, there is fan fiction and people out there that are interp- that are interpreting Spock's and Kirk's friendship in a different way than is canon. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny. I mean, it's apparently this shipping. is really a thing. Well, I mm. guess so. I never heard the word shipping before. Anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, so again... Interesting, some of the things are kind of reminiscent of the history of these two characters, and some of it isn't. Right. I mean, who the hell is the guy from the 1600s with the cape and the feather on the cap, and that's supposed to be how Vulcans dress? Right. And he's like, Uh, come to me, my Vulcan son. Yes, I don't know who he is. Yeah. You have done well, Spock. You are a true Vulcan. Yeah. So is that supposed to be Sarek? I hope not. I don't know. I think he has a mustache. I mean, yeah. You got to see a mustache poking out from his right. side of his face. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very, very strange. Right. And it's weird because the boy has clothes on, and then when he's shown later, he's still wearing the same shirt and pants he was wearing in the panel before. But mm. now he's also wrapped this lizard skin around him. And it's yeah. we're supposed to Isn't... get that he had to make the lizard skin to survive. And couldn't he remove the head? I mean, really. Yeah. Well, then he has the memento of the Kazwan, and it shows that it's just the horn. So Okay, well, keep the horn. Back, but cut the horn off and geez. kept it as a memento. There you go, I guess. And he, he vows never to kill again. <sighs> Another thing that's kind of funny about this one is, was did Spock suffer from form, some form of retardation when he was a child? Why? Because of well, what the kids look, are saying? No, look what he's saying. He's with uh, his mother, and he's saying, Mommy, Mommy, they make fun of me because you come from far away. They make Spock very unhappy. What? Maybe he's really little. <laughs> what? I mean, he doesn't look that little. I mean, what does yeah, he look like? He looks like he's like eight years old or something. Yeah, but I think he's supposed to be four or something. Would you? Did you talk about yourself in the third person when you were eight? I mean... I don't think he's eight because he's supposed oh, well, to be seven later. Well, uh, okay, five okay, then. I, I get five when you were four. How about four? Right. Did you talk about yourself in the third person? No. Donovan is very unhappy that you didn't bring me pop tarts, Mom. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't catch that part, but the the taunts the kids are are throwing yeah. out are amazing. Yeah. Earthling, earthling, rotten from your birthling. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is Spock, Spock, your head's an earth rock. Like, oh, these are hilarious. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't so non-Vulcan, I would love to see. But, yeah. And then these, these people, they're like, one's a blonde-haired girl, and the other one's like looks like a hippie chick. Yeah. It's just like, these don't look like your typical no. Vulcan children. No. I think it was much done much better than the 2009 movie. Or even the animated series. 
Okay. Yeah, Which I, I guess is where they're getting that, this from. Probably. And then uh, the... Uh, so Spock's dad. You don't think that looks like uh, the guy who played Spock in Part 5? I mean, he has a thinner face than, than no, I, Mark. Who said I did No, no, I'm just saying. Did okay. you get that vibe when you were at... When you were uh, at? I got more of the vibe because of the hat that he's got on and the backpack. I was... I was taken back to the James Mason movie, um, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Okay. Because the outfit is kind of similar to the kind of things that they were wearing in, you know, when they were, you know, hiking down to the center of the earth. That's what it reminded me of. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I didn't necessarily make the connection with, um, with, the, with, the, with the actor that was in Discovery, who I think is quite good, by the way. Um, yeah, not Discovery. Star Trek Five. That's the way I'm going. Oh, Star Trek Five. Yeah, the one where he, when he looked at the baby, he's like, "Oh, so wait funny. a minute." Okay. Now oh, that's so funny. <laughs> you don't think he looks like him? Well, considering the guy that acted in that is somebody I knew from high school, that right, is so I, funny. I, John, I it was weird. you think he looks like John? Huh? I, th- I thought so. I couldn't yeah, remember. Yeah, his name. maybe, maybe. Eh, also, I, looks I did a little not... bit like James Cromwell, but it looks nothing like Mark Leonard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I pretty much agree. Yeah, but but speaking of discovery, that's uh, it's it's funny seeing Michael's connection doing a mild mind meld from afar is uh, has a, has its origins here. I guess Michael did that, right? Yeah, but now we know Spock did it forty years earlier. Well, but was it that far? I mean, it was from a distance. But still, I mean, I mean, they're doing it across like light years of space. Sure, sure. Which is yeah. hard to swallow. They got to amp it up for the show. Well, that that show amps up too many things, but whatever. Okay, that's all I have to say. All right, so that was the last uh, story. I mean, do you want to talk about the classified file? I didn't. Even well, read it. I okay. So, so this one is actually a letter from Kirk to the commander of the records section. Named Bob, apparently. Where Kirk is saying, hey, thanks, Bob. Actually, seeing our exploits in Starfleet log versions, I mean, like, official records, is, is a big thing for Kirk, apparently. So he, he's, <laughs> he's got that official-looking letter, which is marked personal instead of confidential. This oh, guy, we, Bob. We see his official signature, too. We do. Well, Jim. What's the rest of your name? There's no last name. It's just Jim. Okay. <laughs> They're on first name basis. There you go. That's all to say. That's one. All right. So log four has what I thought was the best story out mm-hmm. of all these little mini stories, mm-hmm. and it's basically like a little timeline of uh, Star Trek. So it's called "From Sputnik to Warp Drive." Mm-hmm. So in the '60s, their history kind of matches ours. Sputnik, and then the eventual moon landing. And then things start going a little astray. So in the <laughs> 80s and mid-90s, we have perfected the space shuttles, and we've created our first space station. And it looks like a very 2001-esque space station. Mm-hmm. Then in the late 90s, Earthlings have created the first sleeper ships to send unconscious uh, people out into the cosmos, which we know because we saw that in Space Seed, which I thought was a cool little nod. I think that's great. Like and it. then in the 
the 2000s that established that Earth people are now living on the moon and Mars colonies, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. They actually give it a date, 2050. Cochrane creates the faster and light travel, mm-hmm. and he helps repel the invading Kazanti, which was news Kizanti. to me. Kazanti, yes. Never heard of them before. You, I'm surprised you say that. Okay. Since you are an animated series fan. Okay, is that where it comes from? Well, okay. Do you ever remember the episode, The Slaver Weapon? Nope. Okay, well, that's where the Kazinti is in Star Trek lore. Or at least the only, the only place that I'm aware of. But Are they, they the cat they, people? They're the cat people, exactly. Okay. They're the cat guys that are, you know, kind of, you know, big up on their, you know, uh, you know, so they're, they, they're upright, you know, on two legs. And the thing is, the Kazinti here is in the episode, The Slaver Weapon. So they were in competition to get the Slaver Weapon, as I recall. This is a long time ago since I've seen this episode. But, but, the they, but they, didn't, they didn't go... Arms and, le- arms and legs off and float? Or is that a different episode? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. uh, somebody pops their legs off? Arms? Yeah, I think it was the episode written by uh, Walter Koenig. They have oh. they have some alien that can break out of the, a, a cage by taking his arms and legs off. Ah. Okay, I don't remember that it's one. It's not bloody or anything. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, so... It's established that they did attack Earth and Cochrane was able to... No, not at all. No, this was, again, this was an episode of the anime series that I saw a long, long time ago. And, and it actually was one of the episodes I liked a lot because there was a lot of action stuff. I had to look it up. Mm. And then I had to look up what the Kazinti was because I remember it was familiar to me. Actually, I'm not sure if this is 100% the same, but there is a race of cat people in Harlan Ellison novels, multiple Harlan Ellison novels, that I think it's about the Kazinti. So I don't know whether the the use of the Kazinti or the name anyway was a nod to Harlan Ellison novels or not when they used it in uh, in the anime series. Anyway, whatever. Uh, that I, I don't remember that episode ever talking about a war between a mankind and the Kazinti. I don't I don't think so. Right. All right, well, back to the issue. Uh, we jump to 2079, where mm-hmm. it said that the SS Bonaventure is mm-hmm. lost during her third voyage, mm-hmm. which I thought that was a nice little nod to the animated series, mm. because there's an animated series episode where they find that ship, so that was kind of cool. There you go. Okay, A, a deep cut, another deep cut that uh, these little vignettes are having. I thought. Cool. And I have no recollection of that, that episode. So this was all news to me. Although, although the name, the, the fact that they used the Bonaventure name was like, oh, should I know something? It's like, I don't know anything about this. Okay, fine. I just moved on. Right. So cool. So it was an anime series episode. Right. Okay. Right. And okay. then it says, within 50 years from that point, Earth and Vulcan reach an alliance. And then that eventually leads to the United Federation of Planets, which then leads to Starfleet. And then that leads to the great adventures of Star Trek. There you go. Cool. So I really liked that one. I thought yeah. they did a good job of pointing out things that we did know and then adding in stuff that, you know, 
just to fits. fill out the story. Right. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good too. And then looks like the last little classified page back cover was uh, a note from that Starfleet guy to James Kirk. <laughs> right. Now, now this one's classified though. So. Okay. So James Britton, Colonel, Mission Review, United Space Services. Yeah. So was was that the same guys, Bob? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Dear Jim. I thought I'd take a moment to let you know we have received nearly all the information regarding the review of your mission. So, yeah. Okay, there you go. There you go. But they only uh, published uh, up to issue 35, so mm. it's only about half, buddy. Right. You said almost all. There you go. So, anyways, uh, I mean, back then we didn't have comicsology, obviously, but we mm-hmm. also didn't have, you know, even comic book stores really weren't that big in the 70s. Uh, so it's kind of cool that they did these graphic novels that they would sell as as little books that mm-hmm. uh, that the kids that missed the issues could read up on. Right. They didn't call them graphic novels back then. That was no. a term that came into being, like with Watchmen and The Dark Knight. So. Sure. Yeah, that makes it sound more adult, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a and graphic these were, novel. The, and back in this day, they were not adult things. Yeah, they were aimed for the youngins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so? interesting you brought up how comic book stores were not necessarily a thing then. I remember my comic books I would buy in, like, drugstores. Right. And, and stores that sold other things. A dedicated comic book store. God, I don't, I don't remember when I first saw one. But, yeah, when I was a kid, we had a comic book store in my city. But getting somebody to drive me over there was always a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, but I could walk to the, the convenience store, you mm-hmm. know, the 7-Eleven or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would sell comic books. So yeah. I would walk and hit all the 7-Elevens or convenience stores around <laughs> me and, and get the issues. There was one store that usually had the Star Trek stuff. So I was able to get a lot of my Star Trek and even some Star Trek The Next Generation comics from this uh, this convenience store mm-hmm. on, on the corner that I could walk to as a kid by myself and not have to get a special ride to the comic book store. Memories. Yep, exactly. Yep. So, anyways, cool. but yeah, they don't sell comics in grocery stores anymore. Oh, they don't? Nah. Well, they I sell don't. Archie's, those Archie uh, Digest ones. Those still make it to the grocery stores. <sighs> yeah. Yes, there's a market for those. I just, I don't ever see anybody ever buying them. There must be, and I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Again. All right. Well, we did it, Ken. That was the last gold key. Wow. Wow, Donovan. An achievement, to be sure. This is a major piece of the puzzle. You know, you got your marbles, you got your DCs. Gold key. Big player. Yeah, yeah, 62 issues. That's nothing to sneeze at. Right. It's longer than most of the comic book companies were able to hold on to the license. Yep. All right, so what are we doing next week, Ken? Well, we've completed gold key. Let's, uh, you know, let's go ahead and uh, do some UK comic. All right, so we're going to do the UK strips numbered 34 through 36. Cool. That sounds great. And I don't know for sure which graphic novel those are in, but it's been a while since we've read those, so y'all follow along at home. It's either in, uh, I don't know if we're in volume four yet, but it's either in three or four. Okay. Sounds good. We're getting close to the end of those, so we might already be in volume four. Okay, well, that's it for us, I guess. So thanks, everybody, for joining us here on The Review. Later. 
Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.